It's going to be a good time this morning. I, I've been uh, stewing over some things, um, really studying a different character in the Bible, which led me to this particular character that I want to speak on this morning. This is a standalone message, and it's going to be a fun message. We're going to be talking about six ways of becoming right in the eyes of the Lord or staying right in the eyes of the Lord, and that's going to be the message this morning. And so just six points. We ought to move through these points fairly quickly. I'll give you some history here. We're going to be talking about Josiah. Josiah was the king of Judah, and uh, he actually died fighting Pharaoh, uh, a Pharaoh. He's, a, he's an interesting story, and he became king when he was eight years old, which is another incredible thing about his life. At eight years old, he had a lot of wisdom. He had a lot of seers around him that he removed and he began to listen to the sages instead of the seers. And it's amazing what God did in his life. It's just an incredible, incredible story of a young man who became a godly young man. By the age of 16, he was doing some godly, godly things for Judah. And by the time he was about 20 to 21, um, he had, he had some things figured out in life. And like I said, eventually he would die. Uh, fighting Pharaoh. As a matter of fact, the Pharaoh that he fought, uh, his name was uh, Necho. I, I tried to remember that by Nacho Libre, right? And so he he fought Necho and uh, would die in that in that particular war. But what a what a young man! What a legacy! I think he reigned until about the age of thirty nine or forty. And uh, so just an incredible story, incredible young man that we're going to talk about this morning. So as we jump in, it comes, the story comes to us from Second Chronicles chapter 34. This is the word of the Lord. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. He did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David and did not turn to the right or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, he began to seek God of seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram, the carved images, and the molten images. So let me just uh, start right here. In in reality, I was studying Amon because uh, with Amon, there's there's a couple of things that happened in his life, which led me on to Josiah. Now, I know it says that he's the son of David. Let me tell you what the son of David means. It means that he's from the house of David. He's actually the son of Amon. If he weren't the son of Amon, he wouldn't have been king because there was King Amon. If you know anything about King Amon, uh, he was killed while serving as king. He was an ungodly king. Uh, his dad was one of the Kaias, right? His guys is, I don't know, one of the Kaias, uh, Mel, or Melchizedekiah. Anyway, one of those, right? And so, and he also was an evil king. And if you go back through the lineage, and then that's one of the neat things about Chronicles, you get to read about these kings, the kings of Judah, the kings of Israel, uh, how, uh, Israel by this time had split into two different kingdoms. And a lot of things have already taken place by the time we get to Josiah. Now, now Josiah means healed by Jehovah. The name that he is given actually means healed by Jehovah. So what he sees in his name, this is the power of a name. He starts off by saying, hey, I've got a calling for healing. And what he's going to try to do is heal the nation of Israel. That's really his goal. And he's got a way of doing it. So men, some of the characteristics, some of the ways of uh, that, that he tried to turn a nation. As a matter of fact, we talk about a reformation that happened in the 16th century, 17th century. Let me talk to you about a reformation that happens uh, here at about 400 BC in that area. This is a, a strong, strong young man. Uh, many of us need this physical and spiritual healing. This only comes from one place, of course, our creator. And this type of healing, Josiah understood that he was going to have to learn about 
the house of David and learn about who ruled the house of David. Not just David, but the God who ruled uh, the house of David. He was the grandson of Manasseh and King Manasseh. You can go and read about him. There's a lot written about him, but let's keep going. Josiah gives us a way to be healed as a people of God, as the body of Christ, as a nation, because when we look at this nation, and when I pray over this nation, this nation needs a lot of healing. You know, some disturbing facts about Roe versus Wade being overturned this week. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. We've celebrated in the churches and everything else, but have y'all seen Israel's response? Anyone seen Israel's response? It's supposed to be uh, a, a godly nation over there. Israel's supposed to be out front in so many ways, historically and, and even before us today. But Israel's response to this, their parliament was very disappointed in what happened, or their government was very disappointed in what happened. And what they, they're doing now is they're allowing uh, abortions to take place without any type of paperwork. And so especially the abortion pills. So they... They uh, really had a response to Roe versus Wade in the wrong way, uh, which really disturbed me over all of this. So I have uh, been in prayer over this, been looking for how do we call our nation back to a place uh, where it's supposed to be? This nation, the United States of America, is called to be a nation that fears the Lord, one God, and that God is Jesus himself. And so a healthy fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What do we have to do? The first thing is repent, of course. And you'll see kind of what happens here with Josiah and how Josiah really changes the course of a nation, which, by the way, was a portion of Israel, Judah. You had Judah and Benjamin that formed their own. Remember, the 12 tribes would eventually split. And this is after the split, okay? And so he's reigning in Judah, and that's who we have from this young man. Eight years old, and he already knew his true north. My first point for you men this morning is know your true north. I talk about true north all the time, that God gave us a magnetic compass for a reason. It always points to a true north. Doesn't matter the size of the waves. Yeah, there's some things that can change the magnetism upon the earth at times, but true north is always true north. The North Pole is always the North Pole. Santa always comes from there, man, okay? So just so you know, um, know your true north because this is what Josiah, as young as he was, he, he knew that I still belong to the house of David. My father, my grandfather were evil, evil men, evil dictators of this na- nation, I must do something different. Now, as an eight-year-old, we all know this. An eight-year-old, the only type of smarts that an eight-year-old young boy can have, because many of us have raised an eight-year-old boy, right? And you know they're not very smart. They're going to do things. They're going to try things. They're going to say things. They're going to... But here's the thing about an eight-year-old boy. He was smart enough to know that, hey, I don't need to listen to the seers. I need to listen to the sages. And he had other people pouring into his life. He's beginning to say, not only who am I, but he's asking, who are we supposed to be? Man, that's, that's a question we need to ask for ourselves. Who am I and who are we supposed to be? How is this group of man, men right here going to change a nation better for God? Second Chronicles 34, Josiah was eight years old when he became king and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. He did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in his ways of, in the ways of his father David and did not turn aside to the left or to the right. Men turning aside to the left or the right is one of the things that definitely distract us from our true north. You know this. Josiah, even at the age of eight, there was a true north. He didn't turn from the right or the left. He was extremely wise as a youth, and this should ring true for us. There are a lot of temptations as well as distractions, as we know, and you're going to have the opportunity at your tables to talk about some of these distractions, some of these temptations that will take you away from your true north. 
We've got to stay focused on the task at hand. Remember, what I do today is either going to make me better or worse in my walk as a man for myself and as a man for others tomorrow. What I do today. In other words, what I did yesterday either improved my walk today or it didn't. Right? That's, that's the way it kind of works. So what Josiah knows at eight years old is, look, I've got far more life in front of me than I have behind me for sure. I need some people to help me with this. And he stays fixed. It says he did not turn to the right or to the left. He stays fixed on being who God has called him to be. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 27, don't turn to the left or the right. Turn your feet away from evil. Is what we learned from King Solomon, who didn't do that after a while, right? The other thing, number two, learn to address your strongholds. One of the things that Josiah looked for, what are the strongholds upon our nation? Pray against the strongholds, not only for ourselves, not only for the church men, but also the strongholds over this country. And I tend to pray for Israel. I do. I was really disappointed in their response, but pray for the things that look to be a stronghold among our men today. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, he began to seek the God of his father David, and in the twelfth year he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherim, the carved images, and the molten images. So right here you start seeing he's addressing strongholds. These are false gods that have the this nation of Judah, and and they they've got they're they're serving false god with gods which are leading them to false places in their lives. See when he was 16 year olds you'll find when by the time he's 16 year when he's 16 Man, Lord, I can't believe you called me to preach. Uh he wasn't checking Facebook. He wasn't tweeting. He wasn't chasing the females at 16. He was seeking out his God. He was asking the question and having the question answered, who am I? Who are we? What is this going to look like in the future? This led him to a place of discovery and revelation. Four years later, by the age of 20, he begins to take down these strongholds of the people. Notice when we address strongholds, it's never just for us. It's good for everyone. We all need to hear that. Anytime you address a personal stronghold in your life, it's not just for you. It's always going to impact and affect those around you. Let's say you've got a pornography stronghold in your life. There is no doubt that when you address that, that stronghold and you defeat that stronghold, who benefits? Your wife. Men, come on. I hope she does. Your children, generations. When you address the stronghold of any type of addiction that you might have in your life, who benefits from that? It's not just you. It's not just for your benefit. This is how we benefit for the sake of others, right? Our lives are not just for ourselves. Josiah understood, look, this is a high calling. I'm 20 years old. We got to address these things. As a matter of fact, we're not just going to address them. We're going to remove them. And that's what he began to do, which by the way, just so you know, his father, his father uh, was murdered. All right. He was assassinated as king. And what's interesting about that is, uh, this young man, you don't think people wanted to come for his life for the stands that he was taking? When people uh, worshipped these false images and these false gods that had been set up for years, at least, we know at least for two generations prior to him, and now he's tearing them down, what do you think the people wanted to do with him at 20 years old? 
and he stayed fixed, fixated. You know, we got Jackson here, and Jackson, I know, uh, I want to I wanna say uh, welcome to the Peaks this morning. I don't want to embarrass you, Jackson. I just want to say I know you've had to uphold something. He's in the Marine Corps, uh, and he's not just in the Marines. He's one of those super-duper Marines, and so uh, does all kinds of things all around the world and has trained for every event that life could throw at him, but still probably one of the biggest things that he fights are other Marines. For the simple fact of the temptations and the things that they bring into the barracks or any other type of camaraderie, any of you have lived in that kind of environment, you understand that. And, and Jackson, I want you to hear this too. You know, I've seen you address strongholds. Jackson will actually send us a message when he can get his phone and say, pray for me, right? We don't do it alone. And so uh, welcome, by the way. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're getting a couple of weeks. Uh, and I hope this is uh, going to be worth your time as well as the time of the other men here. But four years later, at the age of 20, look, he's taking these strongholds down, and it is not easy for him to do this. They've already proven they can assassinate the king. And so I'm sure there were threats. I'm sure there were people wanting to assassinate him for this, but he continued on. And in the 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram, the carved images, and the molten images. Now, as he does this, the third point, men, is he begins to restore. Jesus says if a man sweeps a, hand, sweeps a house clean, he ought to do what? Better put something in there, right? And so as Josiah is going along and sweeping Jerusalem and Judah and making them clean, or I said Jerusalem, Israel and Judah, and making them clean, really fighting for the territory, the, the temple in Jerusalem, uh, he turns his focus to this place of the temple in Jerusalem. And in verse 8, it says, Now in the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azilia, and Masia, an official of the city, and Joah, the son of Johaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. You see, many of our temples have been damaged by false images, pride, separation, perversion, hate, envy, all those things. What is our temple, men? It starts with us. Come on. Come on, it starts with us. And, and what, what he did is he not only purged the temple, now he goes in and he calls priests and other ones who have the ability to help, have the ability to put something in that temple. This is where the word of God is so important. This is why this room should be, I, I mean, I know we've got people at every table, but this thing ought to be packed to the, to the walls. Here's why. Because the preaching of the word puts something in our house. When, when Jesus is tempted, it says in Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus was led in the desert, watch this, to be tempted by the devil. As a matter of fact, it says he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And how does he answer him? Thus says the Lord. This is the word of God. Right? So, so this is the treasure that we host here. This is the treasure that we have, men. So it's, so it's a good thing to tear down those idols within us. It's a good thing to recognize those idols within us. But then you got to put something else in the house. And this is something that he was, he was doing here. The temple in Jerusalem, he began to restore it. He began to put the, the right things back into the house that would bring people into this place of prayer and this place of worship. Our bodies are temples of the living God. We've got to ask ourselves the question sometimes, what do we put in them? Man, I don't even like that. Let's go to the next one. I already had, Allison made muffins this morning. I mean, banana nut muffins. The worst thing for me, because there's nothing gives me heartburn worse, and, there's not, and i got to eat them. 
let's keep going. So our bodies, we need to not only have our bodies restored, right? But, but also the body of Christ, the body of Christ, man. Number four, he empowers and entrusts. Verse nine, watch this. Now, now this is excellent leadership. For a young man, this is just absolutely outstanding. Because what he's about to do is he's about to do this thing known as delegation. He empowers and he entrusts those around him. Now, he's had them around him long enough. He knows I can trust them. They can be trusted with a little. I can entrust them with a lot. Verse 9, they came to Hilkiah, the high priest, and delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites, the doorkeepers, had collected from Manasseh and Ephraim, and from all the remnant of Israel, and from all Judah and Benjamin, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Then they gave it into the hands of the workmen who had the oversight of the house of the Lord, and the workmen who were working in the house of the Lord used it to restore and repair the house. They, in turn, gave it to the carpenters and to to the builders to buy quarried stone and timber for couplings and to make beams for the houses which the kings of Judah had let go to ruin. Men, this is important for a couple of reasons. One, he is delegating. He brings the experts in and says, what do we need to do to the house of the Lord to make it attractive? Boy, I could preach here. Have you ever, uh, when I was youth director, and I like to share this story, uh, everybody donated everything to the youth group. I got phone calls all the time. Hey, uh, we bought a new couch. Can we bring the old one to the church? Give it to the youth. And this is when I was in a very large youth group, youth directing a, a large youth group, over 200 kids. We had a lot of room back then and all this. And Or they would say, hey, could you bring some of the youth by with a trailer and pick up our sofa, our recliner, our because we just got a new living room suit and we want to donate this one to the church, to the house of the Lord. Well, I'm glad we, we're good enough for seconds. You ever think of things like that? It sounds like such a nice thing to do. And some of them were really nice couches. I was like, I'll take that to my house. Thank you. God bless you. Right? But but here's the thing. Look, we get onto the church today. I just read someone's post last week of why they don't like the church or why they have a problem with the church, but their relationship with Jesus is solid. Let me tell you, your relationship with Jesus is not solid, all right, just because you figured it out and there's not a preacher out there that knows, there's not a pastor out there that knows, there's not a, let me, let me just address that for just a moment, because, because the church is always asking for money, because the church is always looking to, to update, the church is nicer than my house, it should be, this is, this is the Lord's house, can we bring enough to the house of the Lord. And this is where a young man who is king understands, look, I'm going to delegate this out. And I'm not just delegating it, delegating it out to anyone. You understand there are names by these positions. And the reason there are names by these positions is because these are the best skilled workers he had at his disposal. And he said, we're putting them to work in the house of the Lord. Forget all of that out there. They're going to work in the house of the Lord. Very important that we see this, men. Many, many people today have the wrong idea of the the church is not a building. Really? (laughs) I mean, it's a house of prayer. The temple was a building, was a tent. Uh, Men, it's important that we see this. He trusted those, the best of those. He trusted them first in the temple with the money, the Levites, right? The Levitical tribe, pay them what they're, what they're worth. Get them what they need to do their jobs in a proficient manner. Ephesians 4.11, so Christ gave us 
apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity in faith as the body of Christ. There's something that's going on until we all become, I love this because he says, he keeps going, he says, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's a big measure (laughs) if we become the fullness of Christ. But that should be our goal, man. Number five, he sees, here's again, he understands that his reformation is going to bring him to a place of repentance. Reformation, I'm not so for sure, Joshua, we shouldn't write on this one. Maybe, maybe this is what you turn in for your doctorate. That, that, that we, don't, we don't chase this one a little bit because I'm not so for sure that reformation and repentance should ever be used apart from one another. When there is a reformation, you're going to find basically what brings it on is repentance. That's really what happens. So this is what we see. Learn to see and learn to hear again. That's point five. Verse 14, when they were bringing out the money which had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law the Lord was given by Moses. Now, this is interesting to me. Notice what happens with Hilkiah. Hilkiah's the priest, all right? If you get the junk out of the way, this is how I put it, you get the junk out of the way, all of a sudden what's important shows up. This is So for all these years, they didn't even know where the book of the Lord was. And so they get everything cleaned out of the temple. They start working on the temple, putting things back where the things in the temple should be. And notice what happens. The word of the Lord shows up. All of a sudden, whoa, here it is. The golden book, if you will. It's an incredible thing. You see, it's amazing what you will find when we get the junk out of the way. The false gods, the money, the strongholds, God's word becomes so much easier to see and hear. In Romans 10, 14, how beautiful, or how will they know unless someone preaches to them? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of the gospel? And we get everything out of the way, you'll see that it brings a reformation, a reformation in so many ways to us men. And finally, number six, repentance. Repentance. It's got to be in there. Verse 19, when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. Did you notice that? So all of a sudden, here's the king and, and this young man, and Hilkiah had to be reading it, saying, look what I found. He begins to read it, and this king goes, there is the absolute north. This word leads me to my Lord. This is the Lord of the house of my father. Remember, it says son of David, that he's the son of David. He's really not. He's the grandson of Manasaw. We know that. But he's in the house of David, and that's what that term means. And so in that, he's saying he hears the word of the Lord, and he knows that this is what has sustained them for generations. Verse 19, when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. It's a visible sign of turn and return. That's what repentance is. It's turning and returning to the thing that makes us whole, to what sustains us, to God and his will and his ways for our life. The king is leading by example, reminding his people of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Repentance is an ongoing thing. When we worship, we repent. Did you know that? When you read the word of the Lord, did you know that's a form of repentance? Do you know why? 
Because repentance in the New Testament, of course, is the Greek word metanoia, which simply means to change one's mind, in turn, changing one's direction. And so, so it's a form of repentance to read God's Word. It's a form of repentance to worship, because worship means that I'm not on the throne. God is on the throne. And because He's on the throne, I'm below that. It's an ongoing thing. When we worship, we repent. When we tra- or renew our minds, it's a form of repentance. Our behavior, our thoughts, even our actions become for Him. And when our actions are for Him and in Him, listen, man, that's a form of repentance. So when you go out and work to serve the Lord, do all, all you do as unto the Lord, when you work in that way, that's a form of repentance because it means it's not for me. I'm, I'm going to show people the glory of the Lord uh, with this axe. Now, it doesn't mean you use the axe on them. I'm just saying, you know, you, you, you do things, and that's a, you do things in, in, in a form of doing the best you can with whatever you have because that's a form of repentance. Romans 2, 4 states, or do you disregard the riches of his kindness, to- tolerance, and patience, not really realizing that God's kindness leads you to repentance? God's kindness because he is so good to us. So, man, this is a great, great story for all of us to go back and, and dig into. Like I said, I really wasn't wanting to read about Josiah. I was reading about Amon over a couple of things, because I've asked some of you, who was the king that such and such happened to? And none of you answered me. So I had to find it myself. But anyway, in finding that, Right. And also reading about Egyptology, we, we, uh, learn about this, even this fight that eventually would lead to Josiah's death against Pharaoh. So, uh, interesting there. There's six things, six points that I pulled out of that little story. Hopefully it'll help us in our discussion this morning. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for each one here this morning. Father, continue to grow us up and grow us out. Lead us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Cleanse our temples and may we found, be found worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being with us online. Hope you enjoyed the message this morning.